and welcome to the first episode of Behind the Mic, another brand new event podcast series hosted by me, Freddie Cocker. I couldn't start a podcast series of music producers and DJs without creating a similar one to help other artists in the industry as well. Music is a massive part of my life and I've created lifelong friendships and memories with people based on just one particular band or artist we both love. These artists we idolise, adore and sometimes even objectify are all human beings. They face the same issues and mental health challenges we all go through in life and have their own unique stories to tell. In this new addition to the Just Checking In podcast family, I'll be checking in with solo artists, bands, songwriters and a range of performers across different music scenes in the UK and the world, discussing their musical journeys, their love for singing and songwriting and most importantly, the person behind the mic. My special guest for this first episode of Behind the Mic listeners is UK R&B and soul artist Kemi Salola. Kemi is based in London and we actually happened to go to school together, although I never had the pleasure of knowing her back then. Kemi's music journey, faith, mental health and being co-signed by Janet Jackson is all on the menu. This is how our check-in went. Kemi, welcome to Behind the Mic. Thanks so much for coming on, especially during these hugely difficult, challenging times we're living in. I'm certainly struggling a little bit, um, ups and downs uh, a lot. Um, how are you coping, you know, not just lockdown wise, but I guess also your mental health, given kind of everything that's going on with the with the racial protest and the Black Lives Matter movement. So just just give me an update on how, you, how you're feeling, really. Yeah, hey, thanks for having me. Um, do you know what? It's been, as you said, a crazy time, um, been very overwhelming. And to be honest, yeah, I've been kind of up and down with it. Like sometimes it's been quite nice to, you know, have that since you've been in lockdown to have that moment of stillness, you know, being at home and things going a bit more slow paced. But then at the same time, it's been like it's felt restricting or it's just been a lot to deal with, you know, people. Because I think since we're not out, we're just on the Internet and then a lot of people just putting their opinions on there. And sometimes they don't write write things the same way they mean to. So you can take it anyway. So it's been a bit crazy, but. Overall, I'm in a good space. So, yeah, thankful for that. Thank you so much for being the first special guest on Behind the Mic. So let's get cracking. Let's start at the beginning, Kemi, and talk about your musical journey. So firstly, how did your love affair with singing and music start? You know, what age were you when you first maybe picked up a microphone and started singing? Who were some of the artists and records that you listened to growing up? And maybe what impact did they have on you? And maybe who got you into music in the first place as well? so much to unpack there um do you know I've been singing for like so long I remember from maybe around nine me and my friends used to write songs in the playground at school and then we'd sing and just like be dancing around so I've always been around music and then like the influence I played with my family um like my dad used to play a lot of records and even my mum and my brothers they introduced me more so to like hip-hop and R&B yeah but my parents were playing more like reggae music lovers rock and afro beats and gospel so I've always had like a, a nice range of music around the household yeah, so um, do you know what? I'm try- I remember someone asked me um, if I can remember one of my first performances and that would probably be around the same time where I kind of like picked up the mic and I remember it was in primary school and it was during uh, morning assembly. I was supposed to sing a song with my friend and I don't know what happened but I got stage fright and I literally stood there with the microphone and nothing came out of my mouth and I remember my friend looking at me like nudging me like, uh, can we? but now I can't stop as soon as I get the mic I'm like, hey. <laughs> but yeah, so that was like, in primary school that was like one of the memories um singing 
And yeah, just since then, I think as I've gotten older, I've just started to enjoy it more and believe in myself more and kind of go for my own thing and just share all the songs that I've written and just, you know, put them out there. You mentioned that your parents um, gave you kind of a strong upbringing in black music, especially sort of Afro and Caribbean. Are your parents, what what are your parents' ethnicities and were they conscious of giving you both sides? Yeah, well, they grew up in like um, South London, I believe. So like they're originally from Nigeria, they both came here. So they've got a lot of, I think around that time, there was a lot of Caribbean influence coming um, to the UK. So that's how they heavily influenced around reggae and lovers rock. And for you, Kemi, what were some of your favourite artists maybe? You know, obviously you spoke about the R&B and hip hop scene that's influenced a lot in your life. Um, obviously we'll come on to Janet Jackson a bit later, but um, kind of what were your, who were some of your favourite artists that you remember kind of growing up and listening to? Yeah, so as I said, a lot of the legends, like um, a lot of Michael Jackson in my household, um, my brothers especially love that. Um, Stevie Wonder, um, a lot of reggae music like Dennis Brown and Bob Marley and just a lot of classic singers and some of the females too, like Diana Ross. I listen, my mum play a lot of jazz um, like that. Yeah, just a lot of those people really. From my age as well, like Destiny's Child and Spice Girls and Usher, you know that period of music, um, the 80s, 90s vibe. 90s vibe even because I wasn't around in the 80s. <laughs> but yeah. And then for you, when it came to professionally singing, what age do you think you were when you realised this could maybe be a hobby and then possibly a career, but also kind of started doing professional singing lessons or, or kind of took that next step, if you will? Like when you asked me that question, I kind of looked back and I feel like every little thing I was doing was kind of leading to that. So when I was young, I used to go to like performing arts school on Saturdays with my dad. Um, he dropped me there. And then as I got a bit older, I started singing in choirs. And then from there, I'd do like solo performances and then I'd take single um, less, um, voice lessons. Um, but I'd say around when I was maybe 19 in uni, I think that's when I was kind of like, oh, this is something that I would like to do. So um, I'm getting all my dates mixed up. But around, um, around that time, I put up my first project, my EP project. And I think from there, then I got more opportunities and I started to believe in myself a bit more. And for any of the listeners who haven't heard your music, why don't you just give them a bit of a, an intro into your sound, the artist you're influenced by today, and 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 when you started your musical journey? You know, I can think of them maybe the likes of Beverly Knight, Gabrielle, Corin Bailey Ray, Macy Gray, Janet Jackson, or or even Tony Braxton, if we want to go really back. Yeah, so my sound, I would say it's um, R and B soul, kind of reflective music, but music that you can just enjoy and jam to. Um, yeah, that's the type of sounds that I love. My main influences now. Do you know, a lot of my peers influence me. Like, as I'm trying to make my way, I'm meeting a lot of other independent artists, so they've been inspiring as well. But most known artists that I really love to listen to are, like, Solange, um, Alicia Keys, Janet Jackson, you know, those type of, like, singers, quite soulful and soft and that type of stuff, yeah. The US and, I guess, UK female R&B scene is, is I think it's probably in, a, in, a, in the best place it's been for quite a long time, to be honest. Now, you've, you've got so many brilliant female R&B artists achieving success. You know, you've got the, the sort of titans like Ariana Grande, and then you've got kind of more um, established artists that are kind of making their way up. So you've got, you know, Kiana Lede and Kalani and uh, Tina Shea, who's been around for a few years, Summer Walker, Sabrina Claudio, and then this UK scene we've got, which is, you know, got an amazing range of artists now you've got georgia smith mahalia ella may um sinead harnett and joy crooks are just a few few people i could name off the top of my head where do you draw do you draw inspiration from any of these artists i know definitely i think it's i feel like r&b uh specifically is quite well it seems for some reason a bit harder to market these days you don't like for example in the 90s it used to be like 
you know, a lot of it. But now it's kind of like building up again. And so because it's building up again, it's a good thing. And I feel like hopefully in a few years' time, it will get back to that feeling where there's a lot more diversity among it and it's just, you know, in the forefront and getting the respect that it needs. So, yeah, it's getting there. I think it's good. And do these artists give you confidence that you can succeed in the scene as well? Yeah, I think so. Um, But I still feel there's some more barriers to be broken and I'm hoping that, and not just me, others can be at the forefront of that so that we can, because I think we've got part of the representation there, but we just need a bit more. And I think that's coming. I hope so anyway. And as a scene itself, Kemi, have you found it to be a place where you can be open about your mental health with artists that you might know? Um, is it a supportive community, you know, where you might talk to someone about struggles in the industry, but also maybe struggles with your mental health? Do you know what? I think, again, we're getting there for like we're being more social media has allowed people to communicate more and be, be a bit more open with their emotions. So I think that's a good thing. But I still do think. And it's kind of unfortunate. I still do think it's a bit of a taboo and people don't really know the best. I feel like, as I said, when people are saying how they feel like on Twitter, for example, you can identify a lot of underlying issues between underneath what they say sometimes. Um, but I don't know if they always get the right response um, that they should get. We have this kind of thing. It's like, you know, if you heard of the cancer culture, you know, if someone says something quite extreme, it's kind of like, oh. It's a big thing right now, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It is. Like, if someone says something quite extreme, everyone's just like, oh, let's just cancel them and, you know, forget about them. But I don't really think that's always the best solution. I think we should kind of be a bit more open and trying to get people to be aware of their mistakes and their errors and try and help them grow from it instead of like cancelling them. I've got a picture on my wall of that I got specifically made of a Mac Miller album swimming. It's one of my favourite favorite albums. And I've got a quote that says, if you didn't make mistakes, you wouldn't get far. And I think that is what you just said is just a complete echo of that because I'm a big believer in that. We all need to grow from making mistakes. And I think that Obviously, there are boundaries and there are degrees of what mistakes you can make. But I think it's it's really important that people have the vocabulary to be able to talk to people when they are struggling. And I think that, you know, what you said about cancel culture does maybe play into it a little bit or prey on people's minds. Would, would that be fair to say? Yeah, definitely. I think also because we um, live in a time where social media is like the main way. Like, for example, as you said, if you used to make mistakes before, someone could just tell you like, oh, don't do that again. But now when it's on the internet it's like there forever and people will always have that as a reminder of what you do and I think that also plays into people's mental health because you know people kind of feel like they can't let go of their past mistakes because it's there all the time so yeah it makes it quite difficult listening to a music Kemi I'm a massive fan of Janet Jackson you can't see my the listeners can't see my wall but I've got about eight Janet Jackson albums um, and you're probably the first female vocalist I've heard since her that gives me her vibes I'm not gonna lie that is genuinely the truth I'm not just blowing I'm not just blowing smoke up your mum just tell me the story about how Queen Janet co-signed you and how you felt yeah do you know what um so like it's weird because it's kind of like it just ties in with everything. So a few years ago, before, um, maybe you might speak about this a bit later, before I had a health condition, I performed at a show and I supported an artist called PJ Morton. And he was in Maroon 5. He's the keys player in Maroon 5, but he's also a solo artist. And I sang Janet's song there. And then, like, fast forward a few years, I was just like, um, I think people were just doing, you know, those challenges online or like, because we were in lockdown, and like posting old performance from that you really enjoyed from back in the day. So I thought, okay. So I found that, and I posted a little clip of it on my Insta story, and um, I just tagged Janet Jackson in it, but I didn't obviously think she'd see it. <laughs> Do you know the funny thing was actually I posted it first, and I didn't tag her, and then I deleted it, and then I ta- I posted it again, and I tagged her, <laughs> and then um, like the next day I think it was because it's on for twenty four hours. I saw. Her repost it on her story. So she must and I was like, ah, she reposted it on there. I was like, no, it's only gonna last 24 hours, but hey, Janet Jackson. And then like the next day I got a message from a guy that works from her 
works with her and he was like oh um we saw your video we really love it have you got the full video can you say because only on insta it's only like 15 seconds on the insta story so he's like can you send us the full video and i was like wow of course i can <laughs> so i sent him the full video and then like the day after she actually posted it on her actual instagram and that was just like a dream like and also during that time as well we was in lockdown and i had just come from the year before i'd been in hospital and i was just getting better and trying to get out there again and then there was a lockdown and it was kind of like, oh, I feel like I've taken a step back. So I felt a bit, I was feeling a bit like down at that time and feeling a bit defeated. Like, And then that just gave me so much encouragement from one of my, not only one of my favourite artists, but one of the best artists to ever do it to say to me. And she also wrote Keep Singing underneath it. So that was just like encouragement for me. She was like, just keep going, keep doing what you're doing. And that was just like such an encouragement for me. Like even to this day, I still have the screenshot. And I look back, I'm like, wow, I can't believe that happened. And every now and then when I'm feeling a bit low, I'm just like, remember, remember that. And it helps a lot. It's become an affirmation for you. Yeah, like literally, I always think keep singing, keep going, keep going, keep going. Let's talk about your music in a bit more detail now, Kemi. So your first body of work was an eight track EP called Fallen For You, which you put out in 2015. Now, I've got to say, just considering it was your first body of work, the production values are impressively high. Your vocals have this this really this really perfect contrast of sort of warm and soulful melodies on tracks like Your Lady and Limbo of Love, which has a really lovely nostalgic 90s hip hop drum beat on it. Um, and then it's also got some really big ballads on it as well. Just tell me a bit about how that came about and what that body of work means to you. Was it was it a big moment in your life? Yeah, it was, you know, because as I said, I've been writing songs since I was nine and, you know, in between and... That, at that stage in my life, I kind of felt like, oh, I, I believed in myself to put something together to share with everyone. Um, so, yeah, it was, a, it was a scary thing to do, but I was so happy I'd done it. And I'm so happy you said about the hip-hop influence in um, when you mentioned Limbo of Love, because that originally actually wrote it to The Roots, um, you know, the hip-hop group, The Roots. They had a song called What They Do. So I wrote it to that instrumental, but obviously I couldn't use that because it wasn't mine. So I went to the um, producer and we kind of recreated that mood of that song so it's, you can still feel that hip-hop vibe to it um and with the r&b influences and also like with your lady i had um made part of that on the keyboard myself so i went to the producer to co-produce that so it was just great to finally get some of my ideas out and that was the first time i'd ever really done that um and yeah it just opened a lot of opportunities for me and taught me a lot it wasn't and the thing i feel that i'm quite happy with that it wasn't necessarily perfect i mean nothing ever is perfect but it could have been a lot better but it was just the fact of just releasing something and just putting it out there. And sometimes that gives you a lot more than if you're always trying to find a perfection, always trying to make things a certain way. Do you echo what a lot of kind of previous guests have talked about when it comes to music perfectionism culture, that idea of kind of wanting to make a track or body of work completely perfect, get rid of all imperfections to the point where it actually stops you putting out work? Yeah, it does. Like even um, recently, I released a song called Justice and it was just about um, the Black Lives Matter movement, everything happening. And as I said, because it was during COVID, I couldn't go to a studio and also I have to shield. So I had to record it at home. And that was the first time I recorded a full song at home by myself. Um, and I'm not an engineer, so I had to work out how to do it. So ideally, if it was things are normal, I would have went to a studio, an engineer would have been there, a proper producer to help me put it together. And part of me, because of that, I didn't really want to put it out. I'm so happy that I have put it out because a lot of people have got back to me and said they've related to it and it's been a powerful song for them. So, yeah, I think it can be a danger, especially with the society, again, that we're living in now. It's like everything's got perfection. You've got to put everything out, you know. But I feel like that doesn't always make it human. Sometimes you just got to let things out as they are, as raw as they are. 
on your track inside, the hook is this really powerful line where you say, I keep it on the inside, which is followed by lyrics like, I'm distant from the real world and I hide and my secret's safe with me. Now, this track alone has so many really emotional mental health themes sort of coursing through it. What significance does this track have on you and, and is your mental health something you've written about in your music? Yeah, I remember I'm right inside and it was just kind of like about your feelings, kind of keeping things to yourself and not really, I think there was a time where I just didn't really feel like people understood me. So I kind of like, let me just go with the words in my head. I keep on the inside. Why do I? I'm distant from the real world as I hide. My comfort, and that's just one of my favourite lines, uh, my comfort's in a dreamland. So I just feel comfortable when I'm in my own world and that's where I can be understood. So, yeah, so that's what that song was kind of about. And I feel um, even with another one of my recent songs, Raindrops, that was kind of about um, my life experience and it kind of just spoke about how in life we can all go through the hard times, but they dry. So, yeah, I kind of do put... Um, how I feel in my songs as well. I've got one more question on this body of work, which is about um, your track, You Don't Know. Now, if you didn't take inspiration from Rhythm Nation on this one, I don't know where you took it from because all you needed was this, all you needed was a Janet Jackson added, like, break it down. And like, that was, it's literally, (laughs) yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, Did you enjoy making this like more dance focused track? And is it something you'd like to do more of? Yeah, no, definitely. As I said, like, I mainly, I do mainly do R&B and soul, which is a bit more slow paced, but I do have loads of songs which are more upbeat that I'd love to share more. And I remember, you don't know, um, it was a friend of mine, it's Kid in the Vault, um, shout out to him from Birmingham, and he made that beat, and then I just wrote to it, wrote on it. And yeah, you don't know, I love the message of that song, it's just saying about, you just don't know what anyone's coming from in their life. You can always see people and make assumptions. And then, so I have the two stories about um, the young boy who, dropped out of university because it's a bit too much for him and he felt the pressures and then we also had the lady who had um was suffering a health issue by herself um but when you see them you just don't know where they come from you don't know you know so it's just telling people not to judge people and just to be patient with each other after this you put out a covers mixtape called expression is free just tell me a bit about this and and why you wanted to add your own flavor to some of your favorite records yeah so as i said i always like for my brothers, I grew up on hip hop and my mum on jazz music. So I just wanted to find a way to merge them together. Ideally, if I could rap, I probably would have rapped, but I'm not very good at that. <laughs> so yeah, I just took some hip hop beats and then um, some classic songs, but also some songs that I wrote myself. Uh, for example, there's a song called um, See Her Entirely. And I wrote that to a Jay Diller beat. And that's just about appreciating women. And, you know, not when you see a woman, it's not just about seeing her as a partner but that could be your sister that could be your mother your your auntie so having respect for her in that sense so yeah I enjoyed that project and one of the main ones I done there was God Bless the Child by um well I can't remember who the original because so many people have done it um a version of it um but I mixed that again with a Jay Dillaby and that one went really well it's often still played now on Island Radio in Canada they play it on rotation and a lot of people really like that one so yeah that was just a fun project to do I'm hoping to do another one soon After Expression is Free, you put out two more singles, one called Nothing Compares and a more recent one you've just mentioned in December 2019 called Raindrops. What do those tracks mean to you and and how have you evolved your sound on them compared to when you put out Fallen For You? That was over five years ago, I think now. Yeah, oh, anniversary time. (laughs) Yeah, um, yeah, so Nothing Compares was about... um, uh, that was actually, again, uh, from an experience about a close friend. And I don't know, sometimes in life you just kind of grow apart with people um, and that was just kind of saying, oh, nothing compares to friendship. And in the bridge, I say, I guess it's part of life. Sometimes people grow, but grow apart, but always know you hold a special place within me. So 
Um, yeah, and I also got a remix of that by uh, an amazing musician called Manny Talvis. He done a, a like a summary remix of that. Um, and with those ones, I I think my process was different. With those two songs, it was good because I actually got to be in the studio with them more, um, actually making it and just knowing how to express how I wanted it to sound a bit more. That's still a process that I'm still going through. Um, but it's the more you do it, the more you can, you know, like what you want the song to sound like to be. You've also done a range of collaborations and vocal features. What feature of solo track um, are you most proud of and who would be your dream collab, Janet, including or excluding? Well, obviously, Janet, that goes without saying, so put that to the side. Yeah, my, one, I've done a few collaborations in like backing with people, um, doing backing vocals. I think one of the ones that I really enjoyed was one that I done with a guy called Shemzy. We've done a cover of Come Close by Common and Mary J. Blige. And that had like a really fun vibe to it. It was I want to do more songs like that, more summery hip hop sort of, you know, uplifting vibes. So that was really good. Um, my dream collaboration, oh, there's so many. I think at the moment, to be honest, there's probably producers that I would like to work with because I feel like I still need to establish my sound. So they'll be great to work with loads of artists, but I don't know if I'm at that stage yet. I'd rather get my sound together more. So um, there's like a producer called Rafael Sadiq. I love him. So I, that would be, that's like my dream, dream collaboration, if I'm being honest. As you've navigated the industry, Kemi, what have been some of the challenges you face, perhaps some of the highs and lows and, and maybe some of the realities people might not see? The industry is so like hard. Do you know what it is? A lot of it is... Like, you do try and, for me anyway, I was trying to go with good intentions. And I lo- at the end of the day, I love music. So if you're an artist and you're doing great music, I'm going to want to connect with you. But not everyone kind of has that same mindset. Some people will see things as a competition. And at the end of the day, I only can be better than my last song. It's up, like, unless I'm in an actual competition, I don't really care what anyone's doing. I'm just trying to do my own thing. And sometimes I think you can lose that focus. Sometimes you can think about... Little things like, oh, they've got more followers than me, or they got more likes, or more, they got more comments, or they got that playlist, and I didn't get it. And it's so easy to like, you know, look at what other people are doing. But it's really important to just stay focused on what your goal is and what your plan is, because as long as you do that, you'll get to where you need to get to. So I think sometimes that's been difficult. And also, I think kind of what I was saying earlier about the drama that I do, um, I still feel like it's not as appreciated as um, it should be. So. Sometimes that feels like an obstacle because sometimes it would just be a lot easier for me to just do like a, a pop song, which is nothing wrong with pop songs. I like pop songs as well, but certain songs where it's just like, I don't know, easy chorus and it's quite simple for people to get on with. But that's not who I am as nice. So I kind of want to write about other stuff. And sometimes that can be harder to be pushed into the mainstream. So I, that means I really have to work a bit harder to get my niche and to get the right people to support me. Have you seen this comparison culture uh, be something that's affected any of your peers? Have you spoken to any other people about it? Have they been affected by this sort of comparison culture, whether it's on social media or other or other outlets? Yeah, I think so, definitely. Like you can, sometimes I've had friends who'd be like, oh, they won't be online for a while. Or they're like, I'm thinking about quitting music because even I felt that as well. I'm like thinking about quitting it because it's just a bit... And also another element to that, it's not just about the music and, you know, the fun stuff. It's like a business. Uh, you can be as talented as and have the best songs, but if people don't see how they can make money out of it, then they can be a bit reluctant to support. So that can be quite a challenge as well. And also music is subjective. So sometimes not everyone's going to like what you do. For example, like my recent song, Justice, not, it wasn't for everyone. Maybe the message was too political or it wasn't recorded in the right way or you know different things. And sometimes you can think, oh that person didn't like it maybe I shouldn't put it out and you can doubt yourself but you have to just 
believe in your sound. Performing and being on stage is clearly what most artists live for. For you, Kemi, just tell me a bit about the mental process around your live shows, maybe the nerves you might have before you go on, the feeling when you're on stage, maybe that endorphin rush when you get off. I had the show on Saturday and I did feel a bit nervous, but I really just wanted to enjoy it as much as I could because prior to that, I was in lockdown and even the year before, I was in hospital and I had a lot of health conditions, so I couldn't perform. So I think in life sometimes when you get pushed to the bottom, you can do two things. You can either like stay there and be like, oh, this is my situation, I can't do anything. Or you could be like, this is where I am, but when I get better, I'm going to make the most of it and I'm not going to waste any time. So I feel like I'm kind of in that state now. Because I remember someone said to me, "Is like, okay, but you're doing so much stuff. Like, I'm so proud of you. And I was really happy they said that. And they were like, oh, you don't seem nervous. You don't seem like, you know, as shy as you used to be. And I'm like, where I am now, I feel like my passion for what I do is greater than my fear of doing it. And I feel like when you get to that stage in life, anyone, when you get to that stage in life, that's the best place to be where your passion is greater than your fear. So with that in mind, when I do, obviously I still get naturally nervous when I've got, but it's more like a exciting nervous than, like for example, someone's like, oh, we need a singer right now. I'd be like, me? <laughs> and now I'll, I'll be scared inside, but I'll be happy to do it. Whereas before I might be like, oh, I'm not sure. So when you have that switch of mindset, it's a great feeling. Nervous energy is always the best energy, isn't it? Yeah. What have been maybe the, the proudest or most important shows that you've done maybe that improved your mental health and maybe gave you that confidence boost to, to feel like you could succeed or, or be a part of this a bit of this industry? Again, I, as I go back to last year when I was in hospital, I had a performance due and I was going to cancel it, but um, I didn't, I didn't want to cancel and I kind of like pled my doctors to allow me to go and do it. So they let me literally go out of the hospital but I had to come back um, after the show. And I think that was just like, when I look back on that now, I think I was in such a vulnerable state, but I still went to perform and it was a bit mad and that's why I saw Edward, actually. Um, he came to that because we hadn't seen each other for years and he came. And it was really nice to see an old school friend. Yeah, I just feel like that was such a powerful thing for me because it showed me that even though I, technically everything was a bit of a mess, I could still give to what I, my passion and still, you know, have it, always express myself. So, yeah, that was one of my, um, personally, one of my most important performances. And another one, earlier this year when I got to support T.J. Moses, um, she's like one of the biggest R&B singers and, I sing her song all the time and to get a chance to actually support her at a show was a great one for me. So, yeah, and just little, even little things in between for me. Like every, um, I also got to perform um, for Live Nation Middle East. That was a whole different audience that I've never, you know, had access to. And that was really nice to perform for them. So, yeah, had a few. Let's talk about quickly that DJ Target live stream. Do you want to just give the listeners about what happened there and how you how you got on it? Yeah, so um, during the lockdown period, DJ Target was doing, um, he does a Target notice board in the past where he would like try and find singers and producers and so on. But he'd done a uh, Instagram live session version of it. All you have to do is kind of like an open mic where you just gotta go on the live and just request to join the live so that you can perform. I went on there three weeks before and I kept on saying, oh, please pick me, pick me, he didn't pick me. And I was like, oh, the second week happened, he didn't pick me. The third week, I think I just didn't go on. I was just like, oh, I'm going to take a break. And then the fourth week, I was like, okay, I'm going to try again. And I remember the whole session, I was like, and I had my friends come in as well. They're like, oh, you'll pick her, pick her. <laughs> and I remember I was like typing, I was getting so tired. And then he was like, oh, the last person, he got this rapper to come up and he was like, it's going to be the last person for the night. And I was like, oh, he's not going to pick me. And then I just kind of like was like, oh, forget it. And I was just watching. And he's like, actually, I have one more. And he picked me. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And then I just, um, I sang my song, If, which is, I'm going to put out soon. 
Um, and yeah, it was just great to, because I, again, back in the day, I actually met him at a seminar. All that time I wanted to send him music, but I never had anything ready. So it was like, now felt like a good time. And so, yeah, so I got his details and I still have his email. So when the song's ready, I'm going to send it to him. And hopefully from there, it'll just be an opportunity. But just from that, it just shows that, you know, you can't, sometimes you just got to keep pushing and being a bit determined and, you know, you can get where you need to get to. And what does the future hold for you, Kemi? You know, what projects have you got coming up that you can share with the listeners or, or what are your dreams for the next few years as an artist? Yeah, well, I've got a new song called New Form and that's about, you know, transformation and growth. And I really want to look forward to sharing that this month. Thereafter, just just really getting out there and I feel like there's so much of me that I haven't shown um, as an artist. And now that I'm just in that mindset where I feel more free and more confident in myself, it's the time to really just share and get that out. And um, not to be scared of being vulnerable anymore, but we all have those moments of vulnerability. And I think it's important the more we can share those moments together and be open with each other, the better it will be for all of our mental health. So that's what I'm going to start doing, just sharing my, my music and my expression. You mentioned earlier the song you did called Justice, Kemi, that was about um, obviously the, the, the Black Lives Matter movement and the George Floyd protests. Um, as a black woman in the industry, have you found any racial biases, subconscious or conscious, that perhaps, you know, white artists might not have experienced? And, and if you could, you know, just share them a bit with the listeners and what impact that might have had on you. Yeah, I definitely have. Unfortunately, um, I've never had anything directly like you're black, but subconsciously, and sometimes that's even worse. I felt like in certain instances, certain things that I've done, I feel like if I, if I was in the demographic that I'm in, I feel that like I would have got more support from it. And that is a shame. Um, I also think in the UK as well, it's R&B soul music, which is predominantly black, is not as popular as it is in America. Um, but even so, it's still hard to get that, you know, that support. And yeah, it has been quite hard for me, but like there's some days where that's been overwhelming for me, but I just have to keep, again, keep focused on the people that will connect with me. And it is still a challenge. Like, um, I don't know, it's just a weird one. It's just something that I still, I know it's there, but I can't let it stop me too much. I kind of just have to just keep pushing and hoping that the right people will connect with. Because ultimately, we do have racism and we have prejudice and stereotypes, but I feel like people connect with what's true to them. And if you can be as honest and open as you can, the right people will connect eventually. It's just, I feel like it's going to take me a lot longer than it should have, but... I think it's something I'm prepared to go through. And just finally, Kemi, if there are any young female artists or black female artists, especially wanting to get into music or might feel inspired by you, what message or advice would you give them from your experience? I really would just say, follow what's in your heart. I know that sounds so like vague and a lot of people say that, but a lot of people don't do that. A lot of people jump on the bandwagon or they shy away from things and they do things that they think other people want them to do but you honestly have to follow your heart I remember there was a song that I am um, I'm working on now but I the producer sent it to me years ago and I remember I showed it to a friend who I don't even speak to anymore <laughs> but she was like oh I'm not sure about it. it's a bit different and then I remember listening to her and I was like and I told the guy I don't want the beat anymore and only recently now that I've kind of grown into my own more and you know believe in myself I was like oh yeah I remember that beat I actually really liked it why did I not continue with it and I got in contact with the producer again and he sent it to me and now I'm going to work on it and I just wish that I didn't listen to the person before and I just you know went with what I believed in and um, I just hope that people just do that more just believe go for what you believe in and the best way to know that for me is there's different ways you could do that but I believe taking time so meditating and praying just so that you're not distracted by other things that you can have a clear mind when you have a clear mind then you can see your purpose and you can you know, do what you need to do. So I feel like that's that's my advice, really. But sometimes that's hard. That comes with growth sometimes. So 
I can't, you can't force that. Time and life experiences will lead you to that. And just finally, um, Kemi, there was one bit I quickly wanted to touch on about your friends, your, your former friend, maybe, uh, saying that she wasn't really feeling the, the beat that you had been sent. Do you ever feel a subconscious or conscious worry that you might be pigeonholed as an artist into doing particular sounds or perhaps only doing beats or um, genres that are black music inspired? Yeah, I think so too. I think that happens even a lot of artists that are big, um, they get pigeonholed. And I think it's really unfortunate because most musicians, like if you speak to them, they never listen to one. Even people, you don't listen to one type of music. You have, you know, a range of music on your phone. It's the same with food. You don't like one type of food. You don't wear one type of clothing. We're diverse people. So why can't we be diverse in our expression and type of music that we create? I think some of the greatest artists that we all love, they they didn't really just stick in one box. They had a you know an open sound. And I feel like artists should be allowed to to do that. Um, but as I said, it kind of goes back to the fact that it's a business and the easier it is to package, the easier it is to sell. And that's the unfortunate part of it. I feel like this day and age, we're lucky we have the internet and you can kind of be whoever you want to be in a good sense. You can, if you want to put out a rock song today, you can do that. If you want to put out an R&B song, a reggae song, you can do that. So I would say take advantage of the fact that you can do that and express yourself as much as you can. So I'm always open for collaborations to different styles. Like I've done a dance song before and a house song, a reggae song. So, you know. We talked about Kemi, the artist. Let's go behind the mic and talk about your own journey in a bit more detail, Kemi. So firstly, just just walk me through your sort of early life, your childhood, you know, where you grew up. Um, and were there any early mental health experiences during this time you can pinpoint looking back you know who's the chemi we meet here that's a really good question so i'm just east londoner <laughs> i grew up in east and um with my family so my two three brothers and my parents um i'm the youngest of four and the only girl so i kind of had like i wouldn't say a sheltered life but i've had a lot of people to protect me and you know look after me which is a blessing for me yeah from my experience when i was younger i've never really had any explicit um, mental issues that I can really aware of, but I was, I would feel like I was a bit different. So sometimes I would kind of just keep to myself and I suppose maybe that would breed a bit of insecurities and anxiety within me. Um, but it never got to a point where it would affect my life too much. So I was still able to get on with most things. Mental health is something that you've said to me is still quite taboo in the black community, Kemi, and I've tried to give um, voice to a lot of black women on vent. Um, if you could just tell me about some of the stigmas that you've experienced and your experience of mental health as a black person and a black woman. Yeah, I think um, one of the main stigmas that, and I've actually had this, is people assuming, you know, uh, associating black women with being like loud and angry and aggressive and stuff. Um, I remember one time at work, um, I was speaking to my manager and she was like, oh, you're not like other black girls. And I was just like, what was that supposed to mean? At the time, I just didn't say anything. I was just like, why did you even say that to me? And I was offended, but I just didn't say anything. And it's just stuff like that that people say. Um, and I think... Microaggressions. Yeah, that's the word. That is the word, microaggressions. A lot of... I've experienced a lot of microaggressions. Fortunately for me, I, I'm i not the type of person... Because some um, girls have been like, oh, thank you. Like, seen it as a compliment. I'm like, I don't see that as a compliment. <laughs> um, I've always... Um, the environment I've grown up in, being in East London, I've always been around such a diverse group of people. So I think that's always helped me have an open mind. Yeah, I've never experienced, like, explicit, you know, racist, racist, offensive stuff to me. Only one time there was actually a drunk lady on the train and she was, like, cussing and cursing, but 
it wasn't necessarily like direct to me she was just saying to a few people anxiety is something that you told me you'd experienced growing up Kemi particularly related to your weight how did it affect you and and when you were growing up how did you deal with it did you feel like you were supported with it back then yeah so I think yeah so as I said um the main reason I actually was um anxious sometimes so I was actually quite really slim when I was young like very very skinny so I would always felt quite paranoid with the clothing that I would wear I would always remember I'd wear like baggy clothing because I never wanted to show my shape and stuff it was weird uh, I felt like this leads to um, my condition as I got older about three years ago I developed a health condition and because of that I had to take medication and that medication bloated me up to kind of where I am now but it was there's a earlier in the year and last year it was a lot worse um and that was really weird because I then experienced another type of anxiety because my body kind of changed me on my control but yeah so I think anxiety has been the main one that kind of has expressed itself in different ways and then also as I got into music that would kind of because obviously now when you're in the music I'm in the forefront and people are seeing my face and you know seeing who I am I'm presenting myself to them so that kind of added to it as well it was like a conflict because it's something that I love to do but I'm feeling anxious about it so it was just a weird feeling. You talked to me off air and we've we've spoken briefly now about your experiences living with a condition known as neurosarcoidosis is that correct how I'm saying it? Yeah neurosarcoidosis yeah. Now, I'd never heard of this condition before this pod. So why don't we educate the listeners a bit at the same time? What is it? When were you diagnosed? And if you could just tell me a bit about how it began to impact your mental health and, and your life more generally. Yeah, so neurosarcoidosis is a inflammatory condition. Um, it typically, so it stems from a sarcoidosis. And that's a condition that can mainly affect your lungs. It's an inflammatory condition. But my one was specific to neuro. So it affected my brain and spine. Some of the symptoms, so basically before I was diagnosed, I had a lot of headaches and facial pain and facial tension, a lot of fatigue. And I remember those years before I was um, diagnosed, it was very hard that the doctors didn't know what it was. I even went on holiday because they thought it was a vitamin D deficiency, but it had nothing to do with that. And eventually I had a brain scan and they saw the, it's called granulomas, which is the inflammation in my brain. And I remember that first time when they said they saw something in my brain, we was really scared. We thought it could have been a tumour. And luckily we'd done some more tests and they found it wasn't, it wasn't a tumour. Um, and they wanted to do a brain biopsy on me as well. But um, my parents weren't for that because obviously there's risks associated with that. So we didn't do that. Um, so we kind of were going on an assumption we didn't know exactly what it was but then luckily eventually found out what it was Um, and yeah that affected my mental health so much because during that time I remember I had a lot of like memory loss I remember one time I was rehearsing for a show and my friends came over and we was rehearsing and then I went to the kitchen I only actually found out about this recently because they told me what happened and um, they were like I came into the room and I couldn't I was like I was like to my mum there's two guys in the room I don't know why they're here and they were like what and then yeah my mum had to tell them to go home and stuff like that that really affected me a lot because I didn't even remember it at the time oh if I really really get into it it's just so overwhelming and there's so much to unpack like during that time as I said because I was having the headaches and um, before I even started medication I had so much head pain and facial pain that I just used to sleep my days away like even in the sunshine I couldn't take the sun it was too bright so I'd have my room darkened and I'd literally just like yeah it was really horrible so um that affected me a lot mentally but yeah so from there I was having a lot of pains and I was like sleeping my days away and then eventually once we find out what it was I started on the treatment and that, um, the treatment, again, was like another mental health issue because, as I said, it physically changed me a lot. And as I'm doing music and, and being an artist, I remember there's a time period where people were asking me to do shows and they were like, oh, could you send me a flyer, a picture of you for the flyer? And I'd be like, 
what do I say because I look so different now and I remember around that time as well when Janet Jackson posted the cover of my of me singing her song that was before I was unwell so I was a bit slimmer and stuff and then I noticed people would be think like coming to my page and thinking why does she look different and then from there that's when I was like you know let me just be open about what's happened so that's when I kind of shared my story about the fact that I've been on medication and it's changed my image and everything and then up to last year that that was the hardest time for me ever in my life because that's when I was in I was hospitalized for like three four months that was just oh god that was just mad having to just out of not really having freedom and having someone to have to take care of you yeah it was just a lot and um, mentally that fortunately one of the things that I'm lucky about during this time is having the support from my friends and family like especially my parents and brothers like they've just been such a blessing like if I didn't have them I don't know what would have happened when you shared your story Kemi what was the reaction that you had because obviously you were in quite a, a dark place and a difficult moment but was was the did the positive reaction you get from that really kind of give you that confidence that you could make it out and, and live like a, as healthy as possible life alongside it with your with your singing as well yeah so um as I shared my because the great thing about even all of this as I said throughout that time I still had my music so I was, I was still trying to do shows in between my hospital stays and even I remember there was this guy that used to come around our ward and he used to play music and I used to sing with him as well so music was always there and I always used to share that and I think people saw me going through what I went through but they also saw me um, expressing myself in music and they were encouraged by that and inspired by that and so when they told me that inspired them, it inspired me to get into my passion even more. You said off air to me, Kemi, that faith was a really big part of your life growing up. And I'm sure it helped you during during the moments when you were in hospital. Firstly, how has faith been a positive tool for you and helping you through dark times? And, and also when have perhaps it helped you in times you didn't even realise it would? Yeah. So again, like I remember when I was in hospital, I had so many like just like experiences of like with me and God and just moments where I just felt even when I was in the hardest spaces I felt a lot of peace which I couldn't explain to people and because I'm quite a spiritual person I just feel like what on this earth like it's more to what we see like there's definitely more and so just to have that connection I think that's what just made me appreciate life more as well so that's why even when we all had quarantine even though it was hard as well, I kind of felt like I had my own quarantine already. So I kind of was like a bit warmed up into it. But yeah, it just made me appreciate simple things more. Just connected with something bigger than myself. Like I've always been in a faith-driven home. So it wasn't something completely new to me, but I just felt a deeper connection with me and God and with my purpose on earth and what I wanted to do. And it just brought me back to my passion for music. Given all that you've gone through, Kevin, this is a really kind of massive journey that you've been through. You've been through some really amazing highs. You've been through some really kind of difficult lows. What do you think you've learned about yourself during this journey? Oh my gosh, I've learned a lot about myself. Um, I remember just last year when I was on a bit of the high medication because the condition was quite bad. I actually developed diabetes during that time, which is crazy. I was just very snappy and like, but then I don't know if that's something that I could have really helped at the time because I was just like, under so much but I just learned I feel like again going back to my childhood as I said I've always been the youngest and the only girl so I've had that kind of protective barrier kind of around me I would say so I think during that time I kind of just learned okay now I'm an adult like life is real (laughs) I think I really experienced life in its realest form and how it can really really be tough and how you do really need the right people around you to bring you up so yeah that's what I learned and about myself I learned that I, I don't know, that I can be stronger than, I don't know if that's something I necessarily wanted to experience, but I learned in the end that I can, that life can throw stuff at you, but it doesn't necessarily have to define you. And that you can rise from things. So that's what I kind of learned, yeah. And just finally on this topic, Kemi, obviously there might be people listening to this pod, who knows, who might have gone through what you've gone through. 
what message or advice would you give them from your experience? Do you know what? It's just, that's such a hard question. I would say you just have to, as I said, I think I might have said this before, but you, with anything that happens in life, you always have two decisions where you let it affect you forever and say that, or you learn from it and get up from it. So, for example, with me doing music, during that time, I could have been like, you know, forget music. I don't even feel comfortable with it anymore. I don't have the strength to do it. Let me just forget it. That could have been an option. Or the other option could be like, you know what? I'm not as good as I used to be or strong as I used to be, but I still have something in me, so I'm going to keep trying to get better. So I always think it's better to go with that that choice, <laughs> which is to take what you have still, no matter how small it is, no matter how different it may be for what you used to, but running with it and trying to be better. But it, you have to be in the right mindset to get to that stage. And the only way you can get in the right mindset is keeping your mind healthy. And keep to keep your mind healthy, you've got to put yourself in the right environment. Sometimes we stay in environments which aren't healthy for us because we're scared to branch out. And I think if you fear is such like an underpinning issue in our mental health and society, and I feel like once we can let go of fear and start moving into like more peaceful things, then we can be more comfortable in ourselves, and we can, no matter what happens to us, we can you know rise up from it. A final topic of conversation, Kemi, and it's one I try and have with all my special guests, which is a general natter about our mental health. So firstly, I know this is probably a very weird time we are living in and, you know, you can include the circumstances or exclude them. But how would you say your mental health is at the moment? Yeah, wow. My mental health is at right now. It's very good. I would say it's very good. Um, I think during this period, it's just, as I said, it's been very up and down. It's been so overwhelming, like life has been crazy I can't even lie like I just having to deal with this health condition that's changed my life and then being in a lockdown so we're in a world pandemic and then having racial and um, also you've had like the me too movement and there's been so much for like from everything that I am it's been like a hit at me and it's just been so much to deal with but at the same time my perspective always changes that's why I'm always grateful to God and to the world because I always feel like no matter how low I get I can always snap out of it. But that ability to snap out of it, I think, comes from my upbringing and my surroundings. But I am very aware that not everyone has that ability to snap out of it. It really is about perspective. Do you know what I mean? Like, I have this here. You can see the bottom of my hand one way, but I'm looking at the top. Do you know what I mean? It's really about that change of perspective and the ability to see things in a different way. I don't know. This time period is just... Again, also with the, in- the society we live in as young people and having the internet and social media... Like, I think there's just so much going on and it's important to just take a break from it. Um, Like, even I remember, because during this time I've had to shield and uh, me and my mum went for a walk around the area and every minute I kept on stopping and I was looking at, looking at the trees and mum was like, why are you looking at the trees? Like, who cares? And I was like, appreciating the detail of the leaves and little things like that. And I feel like as human beings, we need to connect more with nature. Even planting is something that I've kind of got into recently and that's just been so peaceful for me. And I feel like, in society we, those little simple things like even cooking and baking and just relaxing at home we need to just implement that more in our society what age do you think you were when you had that first conversation with someone about your mental health or maybe when you realized that these feelings you were having weren't physical and they were actually in your mind do you know what that's such a good question I don't even know like one, I'll be honest, one of the hardest things as well, this condition is my memory is not the greatest, so. <laughs> Maybe it's a bad question. Yeah. <laughs> but no, with that, I do like, probably speaking with my brothers, like, they're very wise. And I think during that time, um, when I was at my lowest point, I was just like, I can't see past this. Like, 
what can I do? This is like the worst moment of my life. I don't know how to get through this. What things do you find in life that might trigger your mental health, Kemi? So it might be sounds, sensations, something people might say. So for example, for me, making mistakes is a really big trigger for me. What would you say yours were? Or have you not figured all of them out yet? It's weird because there was a time when, as I said before, and everything happened, I was like, I would feel quite nervous before I do a show. I still feel nervous now, but it's a different type of nervous. And I remember one time, like, because I've been through so much craziness, I was like, you know, I'm so happy to sing again. I was so excited. Nothing, like, I do so many shows online and I was excited. And I remember one point, I think, again, someone asked me to send them a picture for a flyer. And then I started to get a bit self-conscious again. I was like, you know, what am I going to do? And then I was disappointed in myself because I was like, I thought I've got over this. Like, why do I care again about that? And so that was hard. And I think also, because I have to, sometimes I have got quite a few appointments. I have to go to like the hospital every now and then. And sometimes that journey can be a bit triggering because it just takes me back to those lowest moments. But I identify that I, I'm triggered by it, but I don't, I know it's there, but I'm, I, I still carry on to do what I need to do, but I'm kind of like hesitant in it. But I think it's something I'm still trying to learn to deal with, to be honest, because it still feels quite new. But I think I'm dealing with it in a good way because it's not stopping me from doing what I need to do completely. But it's something I still do need to work on. That's a, that's a hard one to think about, though, but yeah. And it's, I think it's important to say that there's you'll never meet anyone who knows all of their triggers and knows how to deal with exactly every single one, for sure. I'm still working out mine. What tools and methods do you use in your own life to improve your mental health or help you feel better? You know, which ones have you found that have worked maybe and and maybe which ones that haven't? So I have this term which I say everything is healing and it just basically means everything around you is contributing to you getting better. So with that, I've been working on my exercise routine and food diet and I really do think food and exercise links a lot to your mental health. Literally, like when you eat well and you start the day well and you've got energy, you take things a lot differently than when you've just like rushed and woken up. Like, for example, this interview, I feel good and pumped because I was ready. But if I was like just waking up and I, I don't know, <laughs> wasn't eating well, I just had like a greasy burger or something, then I might be a bit more slouched and unfocused. So dealing with mental health, definitely, literally physically what you put in you is so important. And also for me, as I said, with my faith, um, you know, prayer, taking time, reading as well. Like I've started reading again. I'm really terrible with reading. Like reading is one of the things that, I wish I was like one of those people that could just read a book like in a week like that. <laughs> but I'm very slow with it, but I've started to take it into my daily routines and I've really just enjoyed that. It's just given me a lot of peace and reflection and allowing my imagination to, to grow. I think that's another important aspect of mental health is allowing your imagination. Because when you think when you're young, you, you think of all these crazy games and you you know have all these crazy ideas and that allows you to be innocent and allows you to be free. But the more you restrict your imagination, I think, the worse it gets to you because you kind of, you limit yourself. So yeah, I think expanding your imagination is an important thing to do. And I feel like as adults, we, feel we don't appreciate that enough. We don't explore it enough. Not even just talking about from being a musician, like just generally like, you know, an adult, just get like a colouring book or just go, like the other day, me and my friends, we met up in the park and we done a, um, a collage. Like we just got magazines and cut up things and made a collage together. And that was such a, a lovely refreshing exercise to do I would like recommend anyone to do that <laughs> and how do you support friends in your own social group who may have mental health issues themselves or may might just be going through a poor period of mental health whether that be men or women yeah I've had experiences that with some friends and I think it's always important to be there for them I I feel like I have a bit of a tough love approach like there's a friend of mine she's quite bad with her phone she's like oh I find it really overwhelming so I couldn't reply to you and I was just like it's not good enough. <laughs> I know that sounds a certain way, but 
it was good in the sense that obviously I didn't do it in a beauty way, but I feel like it's important to give people space. But sometimes when you give people too much space, they can get so caught up in their own environment. Do you know what I mean? And things can be worse. So it's important to check up on people, but also correct them as well. Like, don't allow people just to indulge in yourself. Like, if I'm sad, you're like, I'll leave her, she's sad. And then, because that allows the feelings to brew more in me. And sometimes you need a bit of a boost. Like, actually, no, step out of it. You need to go outside. You need to do something. Do you know what I mean? So I feel like it's important to be sensitive to people. But if you really love them, you'll correct them as well. And you'll try and guide them. Because sometimes I feel like that's, and it's a hard one. And as I said, I don't want to sound like I'm being too tough, but like, sometimes that's how things can happen and you won't you'll be like oh but I thought they were okay but it's because you didn't really get to go in and I know it's a hard thing but I think and then when I spoke to my friend she was like you know what I was happy that you've done that because you're right I should have called you so sometimes people do that but sometimes they do it because they want you to like shake them and be like snap out of it do you know what I mean so I feel like it's important to as I said let them have their space but try and be there to get them out of it we need to have the, the uncomfortable conversations. I'm sure this whole Black Lives Matter movement has proven that. And also, if you're really, really bad with your phone, that's going to make some people worry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think communication is, that's something that has been very, like, an issue as well. And that's caused a lot of stress for me mentally. It's this day and age, like, we live in a society where it's like, we do this thing where, like, oh, if you don't want to reply to anyone, you don't have to. Again, I, I think it's good in a way, but I feel like we should take some accountability. For example, like, we're trying to arrange this interview. I was like, oh, I can't, I'm not in the mood today. Then you're going to be like, oh, but you planned something, do you know what I mean? It has to be a balance of look after yourself, but you have to kind of be aware of everyone else as well. And I think if we can get that balance right, generally, it'll be good for our mental health. Toxic masculinity is something that we talk about a lot on on this podcast, Kemi. But from your experience, obviously you've got three brothers. I'm one of four, but I've got an older brother and I've got two sisters. Have you ever seen toxic masculinity affect your brothers? Or on the other hand, how have you seen perhaps their conversations grow around their mental health as they've gotten older? Yeah, that was a really good question. Um, with toxic masculinity, I've kind of like even experienced some of that, you know, um, that type of energy with certain men you know sexism yeah yeah that's the word that's what i'm looking for and again that's another issue that can be quite hard to navigate around but with my brothers they kind of treated me like one of them kind of thing in a way so i'm kind of like comfortable being around certain men and i can understand those type of uh what's the word conversations and mannerisms yeah there's conversations there's kind of yeah the ego and the stuff around it i can kind of deal with so some examples of toxic masculinity, Kemi, could be men having to live up to a certain standard or a certain set of criteria. So for example, you have to be good at football, you have to enjoy sport, you have to talk to women a certain way, you have to belittle men who show emotions. Have you ever seen that affect anyone in your life? And have you seen the mental health conversation changing with your brothers as well? So yeah, you know, it's weird. I've got um, yeah, three older brothers and they're all um, out of the house now. They've got their partners in their um, family and I think there's always pressure like the the oldest my oldest brother is like the perfect one (laughs) like he's done everything the right way like he's got his wife and his kids and the home and everything and I do think my other brothers sometimes did feel a bit of pressure to follow in his footsteps but um luckily I feel like my family I'm really blessed to have my family because I feel like my parents have always been quite open and understanding and so there's never really been a pressure to do certain things a certain way but obviously even within our culture as well there's you know certain things that's expected of you as the man and I think especially as a black man as well in the society uh, there can be a lot of pressures but I don't know as I said I think from our upbringing we've been fortunate that it's not 
been too much of an issue. Those type of pressures and they've been quite free to be themselves. But it's definitely, I don't know, with the mental health aspect in that. My brothers, are they're quite, I'm trying to think they're quite open with their mental health. My One of my brothers is quite open um, with it. He's an artist as well. So he uses his music and poetry to express himself. That helps us relate to each other as well. And just finally, Kemi, this has been an amazing conversation and I'm sure it's helped so many of the listeners. What more do you think we have to do to ensure people from all backgrounds feel comfortable and safe in opening up about their mental health? I think we need to just talk more and try and understand things from other people's perspective more and really unpack things like, for example, like I said about um, people doing this silent treatment thing or this cancel culture we need to be like okay why did you feel that it was okay to do what you've done and how do you feel now about that we need to really break down conversations instead of all like human beings we just see things and we make assumptions that's you know how racism starts anyway and binary yeah exactly because we're just like making assumptions instead of trying to understand each other more and sometimes i think we need to have a bit more humility within ourselves because if someone's telling you that you're wrong for saying something be accountable for that but actually yeah i was a bit wrong and see why and I feel like that would help more. Um, and having more of these conversations, maybe not online, in person, because I feel like, again, online, when you're saying words, for me, if I was saying this to you and you're reading it, it's different from when you're hearing my voice, you can hear my tone and you can understand me more. And I think we need to have, maybe like if it's in schools or just local communities, where they have sessions with each other. Maybe it's part of the NHS where people can come in and, you know, these things are implemented in society that you have to have, you know, a certain amount of sessions, you know, I don't know. Because I just feel like we're not really that connected as we think. We're more connected, but are we as connected? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that is it for real. I don't think we are as connected as we are as we think we are in that sense. Um, and we need to kind of go back to that. I think that will make that will enable us to open up more about mental health and find better solutions. Well, I think that's all we've got time for on this first episode of Behind the Mic. I really hope you've enjoyed this one, listeners, and I will say a big thank you to Kemi for being my special guest on this first episode and for letting me go behind the mic with her. My favourite track by Kemi, Limbo of Love, will play us out, and I'll put all of Kemi's streaming and social media links in the description of the pod. As always, thank you to all the vendors who've tuned in. Remember, if you like what you've heard, please give this a share on all the usual social media channels, tell your friends or work colleagues about it, or if feeling very, very generous, please write us a review or rating on iTunes. Stay tuned for the next episode of Behind the Mic. And remember, it's always okay to vent.
king me 